Welcome to the Speaks Exchange podcast with your host, Donald Taylor. As a renowned learning and development industry expert, as well as chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute, Donald sits down with experts from around the globe to talk business communication, learning technology, language, digital transformation, and engaging, upskilling, and reskilling your organization. This podcast is brought to you by Speaks, the first intelligent language learning platform for the digital workplace. Listen in and you might learn a thing or two. Hi, I'm Don Taylor, and welcome to another edition of the Speaks Exchange podcast. My guest on this episode is Bob Moser. Bob's been in the industry a long time. I think we first met, oh, it must be 23-ish years ago yeah, in Hamburg. And Bob's going to be talking us through his current passion, which I think it's fair to say is probably the ultimate point naturally reached from a lifetime of working in our field, which is all about helping organizations understand what workflow learning means. I'm going to leave it there because I don't want to steal Bob's thunder or look stupid next to him. But Bob, let me ask you the question. What's your current role? What are you doing in it? What does it mean, Bob? Certainly. Well, Donald, welcome. Thanks. I appreciate you uh, having me on the call. Great to see you as always, friend. My gosh, we do go back forever, don't we? Um, yeah, well, my friend, it's interesting because I'm currently the CEO of Applied Synergies. Uh, it's an organization that does what we just described. And it's funny because I don't know if that was what we did when we started. <laughs> it's been an evolutionary journey for us. We were the performance support guys. Uh, we were right. affectionately known, right, for, for years. And, and five moments we'll get into in just a bit. But it really has come on strong in the world we live in today, Donald. My gosh, this idea about people do their work in the workflow. People do their work. And, you know, they always have, right? But for, for too long, we've been in support of that. We've been ahead of that, uh, meaning we came ahead of it you know, yep. in, the, in the learning journey. We haven't been a part of it. We haven't intentionally been a part of it. We've thrown things at it, which we'll talk about today. And, and I want to be awful careful. I don't mean maliciously by any means, right? We've, yeah, yeah. But it, I, when I came out of university, it was not what I thought I was going to do. I, well, I, hoped that I, I hoped that I enabled it, but it was not what I thought I was going to do. Bob, let's, let's, before we jump into what you're doing at the moment and indeed workflow learning let's go back in time to when you left university and your background because you weren't always a guy going around organizations helping them learn what's your background i was a primary school teacher i have a degree an advanced degree in the states in computer education as we called it back then I don't want to say what the computers look like, but, and I taught eight-year-olds how to do reading, writing, and arithmetic, as we'd say in the States. But I was enamored by this technology thing, and it was a time when the desktop was hitting the desktop, literally. We were going from mainframes, believe it or not, to desktop stuff. I'm old enough to have been a part of that. And school systems were wrestling with Apple IIEs and computers. And so right. I, I journeyed into that, got pulled into, into adult education, coincidentally, spent 18 to 20 years in that field, was a senior director at Microsoft at one point in their efforts and then hit this wall where even with the monies, resources, and brand and reach of a Microsoft, mm. I, we couldn't get people to perform. Mm. So I, I hit this crossroads where I met this wonderful guy, Dr. Conrad Gafferson. He helped me at the time with what I thought was blended learning, we called it then. And I headed down this road, Donald, toward the five moments and have never looked back. And that's where my company is right now on the journey that I'm on. Okay. It's interesting because it, it encompasses so much of the evolution of learning using technology generally. And yeah. just to put, put a decade on that, that must have been like the 80s when you were dealing with computer education in schools. It was. It was. Oh. I, I graduated in 83 with a master's in computer education as we knew it then. And then I got pulled into the late 80s, 90s. You and I both know this, right? Yeah. When, the, yeah. when the birth of the desktop and DOS became Windows and the Mac, you know, two E's became Macs and 
And yeah, that whole you're world. using a bunch of terms that most of the people listening to this podcast <laughs> have no idea what you mean. I have to Google and look them up. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the five moments of learning need because for a long time you've been known for that, Bob. And, yes. And quite rightly, and you know, you, I, I know I've heard you discuss it many times. You can go through it very quickly, but let's be quite explicit about it. We have these five moments. What are they? And when you've identified all these moments of learning need, are they something which organizations are doing equally well? And has your focus in the past been equally on all five of them or not? So, Bob, take it away. Terrific question. And in fact, Donald, in my answer is going to be part of what you're asking. Because when I first pitched this with you years ago, you had me keynote a conference, you host and all the other kind of stuff at one point. I've been waving this banner for 15 years, dare yep. I say, really? Moment one was new, but I'm going to stop right there because it isn't. It isn't. The five moments to a learner, and this is the, this is the transformation of the world I'm in now. When you ask a learner uh, and, you, and you give them the five moments, which I'm going to go over in a second, they automatically go, well, no, my whole world is the moment of apply. The, the first moment to a learner is they have got to come in every day, look at the world we're in today and at home now, right? They have to somehow cognitively apply what they know, don't know, haven't been told, are screwing up to their work. So right? we have these five moments. The first one, as far as we're concerned as instructors slash facilitators of learning it's something is new but no for the people doing it out there it's apply what number yeah is that? And, and and again that's a shift in my thinking right since you and yeah, i yeah. first talked about yeah. this is because I, I you know again not maliciously but intent i came at it from a learning perspective yeah. i'm an lnd guy right so how does how should lnd look at the five moments well of course the first one to us is new the second one is more more you know and of course we would go through the, the order in that but if you talk to learners they want to eliminate as much new and more as they can because they spend their entire life in three being applying, keeping up with change, and getting out of trouble. You know, okay, so let's just around. recap those then. Let's recap them very quickly for everybody who's listening. Number one is? Apply. And then? Change. Solve. And then when time, learn stuff new and learn more of stuff new if they have a foundational understanding to start with. This series, this sequence is not where you are now with your workflow learning. Well, that's the thing. That's why it's so different for me now, Donald, than it was when we first started and why we we talk about workflow learning because that's the essence of apply, right? I'm in the workflow. And by the way, I have to do all five while I'm there. You know, if if I, if it's interesting because they prefer not to, there's all five every day, but frankly, I'd prefer not to leave work if I didn't have to. I'd prefer not to stop work if I don't have to, Mm -hmm. right? So, so workflow learning has really flipped in my thinking, in my, in my work, this idea of let's start with apply first, build for apply first. And then if you have time, build for new and more. Now, you and I talked about earlier that the interesting thing of this journey, if, if those in this, on this podcast have heard me talk before, is that because our industry was so weak in, in apply, solve, and change, we had very few tools, we had almost no methodology. My colleague and I were all over that. That, your, and, colleague, and, and, your colleague is Conrad Gottfriedson. Dr. Gottfriedson, right. And that's why we became the, the performance support guys, Donald, because the, the, the means to the end is performance support. But like the means to, to training might be a classroom or e-learning, right? The, the, the tool in the toolbox. And so for the first 10 years or so, you knew me, I was all over performance support, EPSS, all this kind of stuff. And then about five years ago, in our own work, as, as we matured with our clients and they got better at this, guess what? The classroom came around on the back end and said, well, well, what about us? I mean, what in a indirect way, we, we left the classroom behind. Hmm. So now to do five moments, and frankly, we weren't doing five moments then. We were doing moments three through five, but, but the five moments as a solution, as a strategy, were not being addressed. So of late, we're doing a lot more, I think, true blended design and, and view when we look at workflow through the entire five moments, counting new and more as well. So 
we moved on from the classroom because it was too distant from this this view of new more apply solve and change and yet it's come back what's its current role Bob? yeah I'm, good I'm point. quite interested in this i think a great believer in the classroom although i do believe it's a very expensive solution in terms of people's time but tell us where is it applicable and useful when you're trying to get stuff done in the workflow, that doesn't quite make sense. How can you be learning the flow of work, but also be using the classroom? What does well, that mean? Yeah, it, it's brilliant. There's, there's in the middle of all that work, this really important level of analysis emerged called critical skills analysis, as we call it. What it basically right. means is, you know, all tasks are not equally weighted. They're not all equally as important. And, and, and I hate, you know, you got to be careful of the word important because SMEs love that word. Learners don't view it that way. Learners view it by failure. If I fail at a task, what is the criticality of the outcome, mm-hmm. right? And, and it could be severe, frankly. If I'm a doctor, God forbid, it could be the ultimate outcome, right? Which is death, for instance, right? And, and then, of course, there's, a, there's, a, there's the other end of the spectrum down at one, right? Which is I forget to send an email or whatever, right? So you got that range. Well, here's the thing. Classroom is best for the most critical. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to learn in the workflow things that are going to hurt you, a colleague, yep. your company, or yep. others. Right. But the reality is there's a lot of things that you should and can learn in the workflow if supported appropriately that, frankly, you would learn in the workflow, transfer and contextualize better than any way I could possibly teach you. Any way I can possibly teach you because I'm removing you from that context to do it. So the classroom has a vital role in critical skills and the ones that should be guarded and safe and so on. But Mm -hmm. the irony, Donald, is in our work, 50 to 75% of content isn't that critical. Yeah, sure. So so we, we in essence, spend half to more time in residential or e-learning or whatever you call formal instruction, when the reality is that could be moved into the workflow and learned there better, and then surrounded by the classroom as a place to learn the most critical skills. So when you're saying classroom, it doesn't necessarily mean a physical classroom. It's more a course that could be delivered online. Or e-learning self-paced or virtual, absolutely, coaching. You know, if you want to get intimate and that kind of thing in an organization. Yeah, in the formal domain, let's put it that way. Okay. And that makes a lot of sense. You talked about critical skills there. How do we know which skills are critical in a job? Do we just make it up? Do we ask people? What do we do? Good question. Well, I think think it starts by knowing what skills there are to begin with. Workflow analysis, Donald, we're terrible at. (laughs) I think as an industry, we're, we're terrible at workflow analysis. We're great at putting a bunch of SMEs in a room telling us what we have to teach. Okay, I've got to stop you for a second there. A SME is a subject matter expert. It is. Workflow analysis, I can guess what it means. There'll be a lot of people out there maybe driving a car or on the train to work saying, well, what is workflow analysis? Well, help us out. Workflow analysis, to simplify it, is what does someone do eight to five, Monday to Friday, to complete their work? What is, what is the flow of work that a manager does in leading? that a customer service person does in, in problem solving a call, that a guy who puts widgets or late woman who puts widgets into a assembly line, right? What are those, what are the tasks? We start with the word task that they perform to do those, right? And then there's things people have to know to perform. That's what we call supporting knowledge. All of those, Donald, roll up into a flow of work, a way in which you orchestrate your day, week, month, whatever, in which, the, which you do work. So I'm, I'm starting there because until we have a glimpse at that, until we truly know the workflow, then we can't do it. We can't do critical skills because we have to be sure we've arrived at the true skills that it takes to do them. Now, to answer your question... Once that workflow is created, we take, as we've always done, um, SMEs, and I'm going to throw another acronym in here. We also use what's called a BME or business matter expert, subject matter expert, business matter expert. Now, let me, let me define the difference. 
Subject matter expert is the person who has arrived, right? There's, I, I made the mistake earlier this year in a conference saying, stop using SMEs. And I had some come up and yell at me after I got off the stage because I'd said that. But my point was the danger of SMEs is that they are that. They're not our student. Our SMEs aren't going to take our course because Absolutely. they are yeah. SMEs, right? And SMEs do things automatically. They forget what it was like not to know. They don't do the routine tasks any longer, right? So, and frankly, that's, that's the essence of what instruction needs to be, right? So, so you have SMEs in a room, BMEs in a room. You've done this workflow analysis of tasks, supporting knowledge, and, and the flow itself. And you literally go, Donald, we, and we have a one to seven rubric that has seven is c- catastrophic mm-hmm. and down to one, which is minimal. So there's, a, there's literally a rubric and, and under each rubric is what is, the, what is the proposed outcome of that number. So if I'm in healthcare and the seven is probably death, a one's probably, you know, makes me, stops me for a minute that I have to look something up and then I can continue on. But no one besides myself knows anything happened or didn't, right? And then you literally label each task a one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. And then principally, in principle, it's not, not a rule, but in principle, anything a five or higher, we teach. Now, there are some fives you don't have to. There's some fours you should. But principally, fives or higher are taught, fours or lower are enabled and learned through the workflow. Now, for a lot of people listening to this podcast, this will be all new. Mm-hmm. And it's just a reflection. I find that odd. We focus a lot on learning in the flow of work, talking entirely about the learning, not talking about the flow of work, which is what you've just described yep. for five minutes or so. Yep. And again, talking about the background, where you came from, how you view things, that's utterly understandable because we have a learning and development field that's analogous to a teaching field in the sense that we facilitate learning, we provide knowledge, and so on. That's just an observation. But also, this profound difference between making a clear decision that these things will be taught and these things will be let's say the learning for them is supported. I'm guessing that the majority of things are in the will support the learning bit and a minority are in the teaching bit. Yeah, fair enough? Correct. Yeah. And what's the ratio roughly? Typically, it's a three to one, four to one ratio of things that can be, it's, it's, it's definitely more than half that we find in our work, 75% or so that can actually be learned more in the workflow. And the others need to, it depends on the content clearly and, and so on, but a, a, a lot more than we think does not need to be taught formally. Um, absolutely. Okay, a couple of questions on the back of this. Firstly, what's the reactions of companies when you go in and do this? Because it is not just learning and development, which is new to the idea. And not all listeners will be, but many will be new to the idea of workflow analysis. What does the business make of it? Yeah, it's interesting, Donald, because here's a couple of things. Number one is that they get they, they get it. They 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 you know because they, they do the work, right? They and, and, and it's interesting because when we go in to do our analysis, they are a little suspect, candidly, because we've had them in a room before. <laughs> Right. Where we, we spend a whole white, you know, filling a whiteboard. What should they know? What do you, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, and then we come in and ask a very different question. Describe your work. Tell us what you do each day. What keeps you up at night? What are your challenges and frustrations? What are your performance areas that you think are your organization doesn't do well? What are things you, you, that you accelerate at? Those are very different questions than, okay, what should be in the outline of the course? You know, what should we teach? What should we teach about the CRM? You know, what, what should our leadership training look like? Those things jump way ahead of the of the conversation. And so what we find is that the organization, frankly, embraces the conversation fairly quickly because they want to talk about those things, not necessarily about what four or five days will be filled with of instruction, yeah. right? The, the group that struggles with this, Donald, candidly a lot, is the L&D team. Our biggest obstacle in every organization is not the enterprise. 
this is, I'm speaking holistically, but for the most part, 90-10, right, is that the L&D team is our hardest group to bring along because this mind shift from performance, from training to performance, from class to workflow, from, EP, from an e-learning to EPSS is a significant mind shift for them. And EPSS, guys, is an electronic performance support system, by the way. Yep. Uh, if you didn't. No, it's a big shift for L&D, and I'm guessing some people get it and get on board. Other people are more skeptical. Is that fair enough? Clearly. Yep, yep. It's funny because it, it, we're often hired by L&D, to be yeah. completely honest, and they often end up being our toughest stakeholder. <laughs> but, but it's okay. I mean, it, it, and, and I get it. I've been there. I mean, I always tell the story that when Khan and I first wrote the, the performance support book, and this is kind of usually our first story to L&D, is that we were, we were asked very shortly after this to teach a workshop on it. So what did we do? We took our EPSS book, our performance book. We made three days of, of PowerPoints and put people in a room. So my point is, even those who supposedly wrote the book, <laughs> when, asked to, you know, when asked to turn it into a workshop, we defaulted to the status quo. Totally get it. But it is really definitely something that's doable. And the exciting thing is, and there's a zillion learning teams that I can point to today, that when they get it, they are seen and see themselves as very, very different than they had been seen before to the enterprise and the work that they do. They see themselves as different. How does the enterprise see them? The enterprise, you know, it's funny because a lot of the learning leaders, you know, we've been here this a lot, Donald, forever, right? I want to see the table. I want, I don't want to be an order taker. Yeah, so I'm yeah. too far downstream. I wish they'd come to me earlier. Well, you guys, here's the thing. Listen to all the stuff you just said. If your conversations start with, well, should that be three days or five? Well, why would I come to you? You're, 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 that question is so downstream from where I'm thinking up front, which is why did I buy this? If it's software, why did I buy the software? What's it mean to my business? How, who, who should use it? Who should, how would it impact how they perform? None of those questions are five days or three of anything. Right? But if you're, if you're up talking workflow, criticality of skills, outcome of people's performance, learning you know, gap, performance gaps and those types of stuff, now you're brought much further up in the discussion because you are now a part of enabling that discussion, not downstream fulfilling some type of role that we've done for years. The perception of learning development depends on how we portray ourselves to the business and a great deal of that comes from the questions you ask, as you and say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, how comprehensive can this workflow analysis be? Some jobs, assembling a car, for example, it's pretty clearly based on a series of tasks. I love that. Other tasks, like assembling a conference, which is something I do quite a lot of, may be more difficult, not entirely, but maybe more difficult to define every task on the way. Do you have any thoughts, any areas where you say, well, okay, we can probably define, I don't know, 70% of the tasks, the rest of it may be a gray area. Is that a problem you face? It hasn't been. And, and I think one of the great myths of this, Donald, is that if something's abstract, it's not task-based. Mm. And, and, and so, so here's my question. When I, I hear, want to hear all the time, leadership training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't, this would be great for widgets. Can't do it for leadership. And so my answer is, so, so, okay, so let me just clarify. So what you're saying is that you can't see your leaders lead well then. You, well, no, of course I can't. Well, so wait, wait, you can't right now for me to define a bad leader in your life that you've been led by and a good leader in your life been led by. And guess why? When I ask you why, you're to list for me, here it comes, tasks. You watch that leader perform that made them, see where I'm going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Every, there are very few jobs that people sit in a, in, a, in a chair cerebrally and don't do anything. It comes Every, down to observable behaviors. That's what Absolutely. Right? It always does, Donald. So, mm -hmm. you know, a leader, I, if I understand the 20 competencies of my company, I've passed the test, I can recite them chapter and verse. That doesn't mean I can 
I can manage an employee through those competencies. Right. I, my, my understanding of those competencies is exhibited by the way in which I, pref- I help a, another person and articulate the competencies and give that employee a construct within which to perform them. It is 110% observable. It comes down to doing. It always comes down to doing, right? And so... So it's, it's I, you know, we've done RW, what we call it RW, rapid workflow analysis. We've done them on leadership. We've done them on how to do a conference. We've done them on how to manage people. We've done them on a sales process. All these squishy things that you don't push a button or, or pull a lever to do. And guess what? They all have workflows and tasks. Now, they're not all straight A to Z. There's linears and if-thens and stuff, but they still have a flow and yeah. supported task. Even as I was saying to you, I was describing my own work as something which, of course, was too, uh, too erudite and abstract to be labeled with tasks. I, even as I was saying those words, I could say, actually, no, really, it is a series of tasks. I could, I could actually envisage it falling out over the weeks and tasks. Yeah, well, Donald, it's yeah. funny. If you, if, you, if you think back to a conference that went badly and you do a risk analysis at the end or, you know, all these different acronyms we use, people say, well, let me tell you what went wrong. Let me tell you what wasn't done. Let me tell you what we did and it came across wrong. Let me tell you what we did in the wrong order. All those things are <laughs> performed tasks that in the end had an outcome. And if the outcome has a risk factor, I don't know how you define it, five, six or seven, you're going to make sure you don't try to learn that in the flow of work because it would be too critical if it went wrong. Okay. Clearly. Clearly. Well, we've been talking for like 25 minutes and I need to get towards the end. I just want to, just want to reflect for a moment. We started off talking about you primary school teacher, working with computers in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. and getting to this stage here. Now, I, I've been on a very similar journey myself. I think a lot of people in our field have. What have you had to confront in yourself to do the internal change management, if I can put it that way? Oh, my God. To realize that I started off teaching. I liked being in front of a class, training people. But that is not enough, and it isn't always the right way what we need going forward. Just can you reflect on the internal change management? Yeah, well, it was a struggle, Donald. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's funny. If you, we've known people over our lifetime have gotten into this profession yeah. and they're caring, extroverted, want to help people, people, right? And so my father used to say, sometimes the most helpful thing you can do is let the person fail or support them, not guide them, right? And, and so fundamentally, that's where we're going. And, and so for me, it's a pivot on performance. It's a pivot on why I got in this in the first place, right? I didn't get in this so that I get fives on the evaluations or people would love me and send me Christmas cards, right? I, I got in this so that in the end, when I was done with what I built, no, I know I didn't say what I was done with what I taught. I, I've, I've reframed it by when I'm done with, because you guys, you'll still build remarkable solutions. You, it will still have some training. So it's not, a, you don't turn your back on that. But when I look back on the solution I built, I want that person who I inflicted it on to be performing on their own better. Right. Every educator will say that. Third grade to whatever, right? If you put that ahead and work back from that, it's not as hard of a, of a mind shift as you think. As long as you focus on the end. That is brilliant. All right, Bob, we always wrap up with a couple of questions that we ask every guest. What do you wish, and we kind of touched on this, maybe, I don't know. What do you wish you'd known when you started in our field? Yeah, I wish I'd known about performance support. And, <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I didn't, I didn't, I always tell people I'm a, I'm an advanced learner in our country. I have a master's in education, one, one step down from a PhD. That's a lot of education. That's a lot of secondary education, seven years. I can't think of a PowerPoint, a chapter, a, a elective that ever used those words, ever said performance support, wow. ever. If wow. I had known about this years ago as just a tool in the tool chest, 
I think I would be remarkably, so I, so my challenge to your listeners, go look it up, you know, don't go and, it, and it's come a long way since job aids. So don't yeah, say, no, yeah. no, no, I know performance support. I, no, 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 no. Look it up. It is an advanced adaptive learning. A lot of powerful things are happening in the space. So I would look, I would take That is for sure true with, with performance support right now. I, I, from what you'd said, I'd also recommend people look up critics, critical skills and workflow analysis as well. That might be kind of useful. They should probably Absolutely, go to- that's, right, that's the Addy, right? And, and so I, I wish I'd known the methodology. I was steeped in Addy, um, as we call it, right? A-D-D-I-E, the, in the, the classic. And so I, I wish I'd known workflow analysis earlier. They should also look up five moments of learning need, but to make it easier for people, we'll put notes to all of these in the podcast notes. So you don't even have to look them up. You just got to find the link and click it. Goodness me, how nice are we? Bob, finally, what are you curious about right now in the field of workplace learning. What are you curious about? I'm curious about two things, if I may say them quickly. I'm curious about what will look like Donald six months from now. Wow. You know, the world is, we're not going to emerge from this the same. And whether, wherever, whenever this is published, there's no way we're not in the throes of this still. So I, I this how being will the, the, the virus, the, virus the yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, really, how, we can't not, we can't, and, you know, and, and, and if this is listen, I, I, this podcast, I hate to say this, is listened to a year from now. I still think there's going to be some kind of spill down. So, so how will we react and support and emerge from this world when the organization learns that, well, you know what, my, my learners, yeah, they were home for, th- for a month and a half. They did okay. They, we didn't have all those classes we always have, and they're kind of still working. So what happened? <laughs> right? So, so, the, so there's that. And the other thing clearly is real quick, AI, come on. I mean, where the too much of what I do, I do now is push, right? Uh, is, is pull, excuse me, is, is pull. And which is fine because the learner should drive. But in the end, what will all the data we're collecting? What will all the behavioral undertones that we can watch now across millions of people? How will that will impact the nature of this world and the tools we can build for workflow? I, I'm very excited to see where that goes. I love it, Bob. I, I share your passion. And hopefully in 25 more years time, We'll be having a wrap-up podcast. We'll look back at this one and uh, see what we did learn from the crisis and other things in the intermediate years. Bob, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. As always, friend. Appreciate it. Talk soon.